0: Hey there. We're doing something different tonight. One of the things about the porch has always been about flowing with the Holy Spirit, letting him do whatever he wants to do. So tonight we're going to do that. Recently I was ministering to somebody and they received the spirit of adoption, which allows them to cry out, cry out Abba, Father. I can't even believe it. I'm I'm already... Get in touch by this. And so I was looking for a teaching I could share with them on the topic. So I found this one, and while cleaning up some of the technical problems, which we had a lot of back then, and preparing it for them, I began to pray about it, and I realized that there are more people that need to hear this. So tonight we're going to do a rewind of Abba Father. I pray that it blesses you. Father, we just come to you now. We give you control. We let you have your way, Holy Spirit. Whatever you want to do, it's your time, it's your place, and these are your children. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So here we go. I'll be listening to this with you.
1: And welcome. You are on the port. I am Richard Grund. And if you're here, hopefully you're not lost. It's you are lost. We can do something about that. But if you're here, you're here for the weekly online Bible study, where we get back to basics by examining the book of Acts and uh, restoring the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence and faith that that church had. Tonight's going to be a little different. Normally, by this point, I've been uh, got my notes, my PowerPoint, all my books open. Tonight, we're going to be a little more relaxed, so get out your Bibles, get out your notebooks, your highlighters, kick back, take off your shoes. Wait, some of you leave your shoes on. Don't, don't, don't take off your shoes. Leave your shoes on. We're just going to talk. Next week, I'll go into a little bit of a detail about the crucifixion, the resurrection, be a little bit more traditional in the approach, but none of that matters. And what I mean by it, it matters, the, the crucifixion, the resurrection absolutely matters. Anybody who knows me and listens to me knows that I know that it matters. But if you don't understand why he did it, if you don't understand why he took three years to lay out a ministry and interact with mankind and with his disciples and begin to change the perspective of people, then you're missing the bigger picture. Oh, yeah, your salvation is a big picture. Your soul, your eternal resting place, your eternal choice, Is a big picture. But if you don't understand the heart behind it, if you don't understand the intention behind why he went through what he went through and took as much time as he did, then then you're missing the point. See, the point begins in the garden. The point begins Genesis 3. The point begins when Adam and Eve follow the direction of the serpent as opposed to being obedient to the Father. See, that's the beginning of the fall, rebellion, not doing what they were asked to do. Yes, oh, yes, it was the snake, the serpent, he whispered, he conjured, he got in their ear, but they still made a choice. Adam could have said no, and that would have short-circuited everything. So it began with the choice, and the choice was they chose selfish desires and their own will over the will of the Father. And then because of that, they were cast out of the garden, and the fall of man began. Man is in a free fall. The world is in a free fall. The church is on the ropes. Uh, the devil is run up. His angels, his fallen angels, the demons, they're, they're running up. It's like the, the gates open, the wolves are running in, and nobody's paying attention. Well, there's a handful. There There is a remnant waking up willing to take on the wolves and protect the flock. But the bigger battle is the battle between religion, form, formality, ritual, and relationship. That's the battle. I see it even now within the church itself. I see certain movements, and it's interesting that they call it a movement, because sometimes when you have a movement, you can then flush it and get rid of it. Unfortunately, this movement is hanging around. But there's a movement in the church that is taking us back in the direction of the Pharisees, back in the direction of religion, back in the re- direction of legalism. There was an article online that I commented on Facebook about a thousand evangelical Christians have chosen to turn their back on Christianity, convert to Orthodox Judaism, and make Aliyah to Israel. Now, the only way you make Aliyah to Israel is to prove some bloodline through a maternal maternal lineage. But to do so, you must become an Orthodox Jew, which means you must renounce any other religion, but specifically Jesus. When I found out that I had that option through my maternal lineage, through my mother's father, that I could have made Aliyah. When I found this out um, some years ago, the person who confirmed it for me you know, got excited and said, you can come home. And I said, no, I cannot. And when the, she asked me why not, I said, because I won't reject the one who saved me. I won't reject the one who died for me. I will not reject Yeshua as my Messiah. Messiah has come, and that kind of ended that process pretty quickly. See, that's what religion does. See, that wasn't what this was all about. This wasn't about religion. This was about the restoration of a father to his children. And some of those children are bloodline, and some of them are adopted. But even the adopted child has the same rights as the blood-bought children. Whether you're born into the vine or grafted into the vine makes no matter. You are in the vine. See, Paul, who was originally Saul, studied under the Pharisee Gamaliel, wrote in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we, plural, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, with Messiah. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. See, it was never a matter of religion. See, religion teaches you how to think about God. It was a matter of relationship, about encountering him, being restored to him, and walking with him. The problem is, With our limited, finite minds, we cannot understand God, so what we do is we create illusions about him. We create illusions about the Lord. We make God in our own image. The reason that there was no physical description given to us of Yeshua Jesus in the Bible outside of the prophet Isaiah saying he was of no appearance, meaning you wouldn't have looked twice at him because of his physical makeup. Not like in Hollywood, you know, with the hair and the eyes are blue and the, the sun glistens off his ta He was just a regular guy. But he was something about him that made children run up to him and men of power want to speak to him. See, it's not about illusions. When he met the Samaritan woman at the well and he told her the same thing, he said to worship, the, there will come a time to worship the Father in spirit and truth. And then in John 16 he says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you with all truth. See, to worship the Father to have a relationship with the heavenly father you must do it in spirit and in truth not in religion not in ritual not in bondage see the holy spirit is the great illusion destroyer when the holy spirit's inside of you when you're being guided by the spirit when your mind is clear there's no illusions you understand who he is he is the great i am but more than that he's dad he's abba see the holy spirit because he comes from the father hates idols and false worship and we know how the father feels about that he told the children of israel and therefore us in exodus chapter 20 starting with verse 1 and god spoke all these words saying i am the lord your god who has brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of bondage you shall have no other gods small g before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He ends it with, you shall not take the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You see, that was about worship. And who are these false gods with the small g in the heavens above or underneath the earth or in the water? They were the fallen. They were the fallen angels. They were the fallen watchers. They were the ones that got mankind to worship them as their gods some of the areas around the earth still worship them but he made it real clear that he will have no other god before him you can't worship two god you can't follow them and follow him you can't follow the truth and a lie that's a contradiction but see it was about relationship john four twenty four, god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth exodus thirty four seventeen, you shall make no molded gods for yourself why it's false worship how do you think your earthly father, for those of you that still have a relationship or know your your father on this world in this world and not gone off to, to heaven.
0: How would they feel if you
1: brought somebody home and called them dad too? I know that's an oversimplification, but let's get real here. He loved Adam. He loves us. He created Adam in his image personally. He didn't speak him into existence like everything else. He formed him. And he molded him. In the DVD that I'm working on for the C Conference, I'm working on the Friday night part where I talked about this. And go into great detail, and I hope that you'll get the chance to see it. The intimacy of our creation. See, God will strip us of false idols, no matter how naked it will make us. Because it's better to live naked in the truth than clothed in fantasy. See, our problem is we try to reduce everything to the level of our understanding. Simply put, God is God. In Hebrews it said that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and believe that he is. That he is what? That he is the I am. That he is God. For three years the Lord walked amongst us, walked with his disciples, left us a living example of relationship, his relationship to the Father, our relationship with him, what it was really supposed to be all about, which was in a stark Contrast to the pharisees he 's more than just a superhuman supernatural being with a higher intellect than ours he 's more than that he has a greater capacity for love he is unique he 's uncreated he 's infinite he 's totally other than us and other than anything else it 's beyond anything than we no matter how brilliant you are, can intellectualize with your human mind. That's why we cannot understand him, yet we still try. The Jews of Jesus' day, they did this. When they looked at him, they could not see that he was the Messiah, although he fulfilled every messianic prophecy there was which the odds of that were infinitesimal, that that one man could fulfill just the major messianic prophecies, but to fulfill them all, they missed the obvious. At the birth of Messiah, pagan astrologers, magi, traveled a great distance to see who this king was that was born, yet the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious men of his day didn't even walk the six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Religion will always miss the obvious. The religious spirit is one of the most heinous things that could ever get into somebody. Once it's in, it's so difficult to remove. Jesus is beyond anything that we can think or imagine. But you see, our human expectations force us to attempt to control him and manipulate his majesty. And that's why Jesus frightened so many people. He frightened the leaders of his day. You know why? He upsets the status quo. He upsets form, formality, and religion. He shakes the cage, and he brings us a message of the Father that forces us to confront him and see him for who he is. More than that, it forces us to look at ourselves in a way that we're uncomfortable with. That's what frightens people the most. When you begin to worship the Father in spirit and truth, when you come to know Jesus as Savior, when you see him with clear eyes, initially it can be overwhelming. So he came in the form of a man, carpenter from Nazareth, born Joseph and Mary. Although we know Joseph had no part in his birth, he only participated in his upbringing. I got to tell you what, Joseph gets a lot of props for taking on a child that wasn't his and raising him as his own. But the Lord gave us many parables. I'm just talking from my heart here. There's really no, oh, I don't know what the word is. Tonight I just felt led to just talk to you from my heart because as I think about what he endured for me, As I think about the choices he made for me, it forces me to think about the choices I've made for him before salvation and after salvation. It forces me to see him with clear eyes. It forces me to have eyes to see and ears to hear, which is why he spoke in parables. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, land rover. It's like a land rover. You can't afford it. No, I'm just kidding. For the kingdom of heaven... I told you, we're just freestyling tonight, people. Very relaxed. Of course, there's a notebook in heaven that just got opened up, and the angel wrote down. He compared it to a land rover, April 20th. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyards, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, and again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and said to them, Why have you been standing idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. Basically, this is an example of those that get saved in the beginning, and those that get saved to the end. So an evening had come. The owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. For many are called but few are chosen. This whole parable is about relationship. He cared as much for the ones that came in at the end as the ones that got hired first. He's not a respecter of person, but he is a respecter of relationship. He's a, he loves those who love him. He loves those who cling to him. See, the emphasis in this parable was not on the diligence of the workers, but on the generosity of the farmer. Why? It's called grace, unmerited favor. See, that's what grace is. That, that's what we're talking about, extravagant love, extravagant love that demands a joyous response from us. You see, forgiveness is ours. It happened on the cross. You need to accept it as the gift. Romans five eight. God demonstrates His own love towards us that in that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. See, there was amnesty, remission of the penalty and the punishment of sin and death. We just don't understand that. You know, we we can we can see the movies that depict the scourging and the crucifixion. You know, we can celebrate these events, but do we really understand not just the price, but what was being paid for? Yes, our sin was being paid for, but more than that, what was being paid for was our reconciliation to God the Father. The Father initiates love. Love is the motive of what he does. He loves without motive. There is no conditional love here. Jeremiah 31, verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. We are afraid. We are absolutely, totally afraid because of our relationship with our earthly fathers, because of our relationship with the people around us, because of worldly ramifications, we are afraid to accept an otherworldly heavenly love. We're afraid to accept his love because we're afraid that we won't earn it, that we'll fail him, that we won't be obedient enough. Truth is, you're right. You can't ever be obedient enough. That's why it's called grace. You can't live by the law. If you could have lived by the law, Jesus wouldn't have died the way he did. The law would have been enough. The law wasn't enough. That's why returning to the law, and Paul has written about it time and time and time again, is not only foolish, it's spiritual suicide. Because if you have once known Messiah, if you have once accepted the cross, to turn your back on that is a one-way trip. You cannot come back. Paul makes that clear. You cannot crucify him twice. We must live with the understanding that we will fail him. Paul knows this. He was Saul. He was the murderer. He was, he was the scourge of the church when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I have not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And one of the things he prepared for us, one of the things that the Lord did for us, why did it take him three years? I mean, he could have just been born, and as soon as he became of age, He could have just become the lamb that was slain. He could have simply just set himself into a position where he could have been sacrificed on our behalf on the cross. But not only was there divine timing and the fullness of time, there was something he was trying to teach us. There was something he was trying to restore. Though he could not restore the earth back to the Garden of Eden, though he could not restore it back to the point where flesh was not eaten and everything lived together in harmony, that will come at the second coming. But what he could restore was the relationship that Father God had with Adam when he would come into the cool of the evening and walk with him until that faithful day when he could not find him and said, Adam, where are you? Right now to some of you, you may listen to this. You may sit in a pew. You may do what you do and be as religious as you can possibly be. Yet he still calls your name and says, where are you? You hang at the back of the crowd. You sit far away from him because you're afraid to get close to him. He offers you these wondrous spiritual supernatural gifts, and you're afraid to pick them up because you're afraid that you'll drop them. He's calling your name saying, where are you? So for three years, Jesus, Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, had to teach. He had to prepare. The thing about a relationship is you can't just jump into a full-fledged, full-blown love relationship. It's worked out. It's developed. Oh, if we could only develop that. If we could only spend time with that. If we could only listen to the magic word. Yes, there was a magic word given to us. You didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that Jesus of Nazareth gave a magic word. The magic word, you heard it in the scripture from Romans, is Abba. Abba. Abba, Father. See, the Sermon on the Mount takes only barely 15 minutes to read. And it's one of the most powerful sermons that the world has ever heard. It he would never win any awards in a theological seminary. There's no seven points in a closing. He spoke to the people in front of him, and he told them what they needed to hear. He gave them guidelines for how to handle themselves and how to treat others. And then he introduces to them the most powerful word, a four-letter word, that sent the Pharisees scrambling and set in motion their hatred and their desire to destroy him. In one word, in one simple word, he shook the foundations of religious tradition, some of which you still see in the Christian church today. Reverend this, prophet that, evangelist this, deaconist that. We create titles that separate us from them, or them from us, depending upon whose point of view you're looking from. Abba. In one moment, everything changed. The Abba is an Aramaic word for father, Papa, Daddy. I, I'm sure if the Pharisees, we could see the Pharisees of that day if there was a, you know, camera handy, and we know there were no cameras, but their, their prayer curls probably spin, and and they they probably, you know, threw their hands up in the air and tore their clothes and did all the dramatic things that they were known for. He just taught the masses to call Almighty God, God whose name we cannot speak. We can't even spell it. We're going to leave the vowel out in the middle to call him Abba, Papa, Daddy. He reduced the entire religious system to rubble because he was teaching relationship over ritual and introduces us directly to the Father. The cross has not happened yet. We've got to learn. We have to be retained. When you adopt a child, especially an older child, there's a process that prepares the child for accepting the parent. And that's what he was doing over those three years. He was preparing mankind to accept reconciliation to the father. The term father is applied to Almighty God 189 times in the gospel, 124 of which are found in John. They're the core of the teaching of Jesus. Gee, do you think they're important? Until that day when he spoke that word, and even today, systematic theology, all biblical teaching about God's actions, being, and attributes fell into one word, Papa, Papa, Daddy. Do not think that the attack on the family structure, which began in the late 50s and the early 60s, was an accident by the enemy. He knew that if he could destroy the family structure, and get you to not understand, Father, a relationship with a Father, then you would never understand a relationship with the living God. That's why it's so important for us to help him share that and teach that. The Lord didn't put a system of God before us. He put God before us. He didn't teach us a system. He taught us a relationship. He opened a door to intimacy that the world had never seen and still doesn't see. He very matter-of-factly presented the fact that God existed. There was that never any desire to argue the point. He was the self-existent, self-evident God, but he is more than that. He is your Father. He talked about the Father with such intimacy that you have to be blind to not see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 22. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so what do they do? The the disciples that are hearing, but not hearing, seeing, but not seeing. They hear him say all these wondrous things from the Sermon on the Mount. They walk with him. They see the miracles. But man is caught up in the show. I call it the dog and pony show. No matter how strong the anointing can be in a place, eventually that performance, the spirit, the dog and pony show will rear its head. So the disciples get along with Jesus after this wonderful sermon, after this teaching, after this time of restoration and, and redirection. And the first thing they say is, after seeing the Pharisees pray and doing their secret handshakes and their Dakota ring and and the costume and the uniform thinking, wow, that'd be cool. Why don't we have a costume and a uniform and a Dakota ring, and why don't we look like they do? They're pretty cool. And they say in Luke 11, 1, teach us how to pray. Well, have you not been listening? Instead of saying, give us our own special prayer, give us our own unique order of words, they missed it. They missed it. We still miss it today. If you think that you have to hold plastic beads in your hand, and go bead to bead as you say a prayer over and over and over and over, which unfortunately falls into the category of vain repetitions, you miss the point. If you think that you have to say a prayer with the affectation, hitting the certain word with a certain lilt, you're missing the point. The point is is isn't about how you say it, but about what you're saying. And more than that, it's about the intent and the heart behind what you're saying. They see the Lord's relationship with the Father, and they want the same things, which, of course, you would want. But they miss It isn't about ritual. It isn't about form and formality or a pattern of words because it's not found through ritual. It's found through faith. In the Old Testament, he was this distant, omnipotent God that they wouldn't even go towards Mount Sinai, let alone touch it. Moses, could you, you go talk to him and come back and tell us what he said. We we we're We're, we're going to stay here which is a combination of things. It's the fear of failure, but it's also the other thing is uh, I might want to sin later, so I don't think I'm going to go do that. Under the old covenant of the law, God is the creator of the universe, distant, disconnected, and because of that we concentrate on what he is and what he does instead of who he is. Under the new covenant of grace given to us by a bloody cross and an empty tomb in an upper room, it's a covenant of grace, relationship, where we concentrate on who he is as Father, as Abba. So what do you think? As you think of this, some of you I know struggle with it. I've had people tell me they struggle with the relationship to the Father. When you go back and look at the Lord's Prayer, do you see a religious teaching? You shouldn't. It was a common theme. The first person he taught it to was a woman at the well. Everything, everything, everything that he taught about the Father was about relationship. Worship, relationship, intimacy, spirit, and truth. What did he teach us about God as our Father? John 4:24, God is spirit. 1 John 1, 5, God is light. John 4:16, God is truth. 1 John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. Spirit, light, truth, love. I don't see ritual there, do you? And I think the reason John is the one who teaches it so much, John being who he was, the youngest, having the relationship with the Lord that he did, Thankfully, he got the message. He understood that there was a hole in our heart created in the garden. I cannot even imagine that moment of rejection that Adam felt when they were cast out of the garden and disconnected from God. You'll talk about heartbreak when a relationship fails, the heartbreak of somebody rejecting you. What was the heartbreak to Adam, to Eve, when the creator or their father rejected them? There was a hole put inside of a heart that without the Lord filling it, we'll look for other things. We'll look for other people. We'll look for chemicals to do it. We'll look for alcohol to do it. We'll look for pornography to do it. We will look for all these other things that the devil is gladly and willing to sell us to fill the hole that he created, supply and demand. He creates the demand, and then he offers the product to supply it. Man's heart cries out to God whether it knows it or not. I'm just talking to you from my heart right now. Do you cry out, Father, do you love me? Do you even call him Father? Or do you address him by his formal name? See, that's what religion will reduce it to. Oh, you can't call him that. He's he's Jehovah. He's the great I Am. Well, yeah, that's true. But my kids don't call me Mr. Grund or Reverend Grund. They call me Dad. That's what a father's... Child relationship allows them to do. The reason the Pharisees hated what Jesus did so much and the reason religious leaders do not teach what I am telling you right now because it eliminates their importance in the equation. If you can see him as father, if you can have a personal relationship with the Lord, then you don't need a middleman to connect to him and hear from him. I remember that moment when backed into a corner and the Lord asked me about my pastor, mentor and spiritual father, who is your savior? me or him very quickly acknowledge that the lord was my savior which meant there could be no one between me and him in my relationship with him the problem with most churches is they've been created in such a way that you have to look at your pastor your preacher your teacher your leader to look at jesus The Lord said if he be lifted up, he would draw all men unto him. He hung on the cross. The problem is most religious leaders want to get somewhere in between you and him in that gaze so you see them too, so that you're dependent upon them for your relationship. That goes back to Satan. See, Satan was the covering cherub over God. He was the worship leader. And what I believe from what the Lord has shown me visually as the covering cherub, as the one who covered, I believe he stood behind God and stood over God. As the covering, he was a part of the the worship instrument of God. And as the angels looked towards God, somewhere along the line, he thought that they were looking at him. Remember what he said, I will have no other gods before me, in front of me. Our heart cries out to know that Dad loves us. And only through Jesus, through Yeshua, can we know that. Sometimes he'll test our love. We don't understand that. I don't always understand it, but I think there's always a lesson and a reason in it because he's not a capricious God. He's not a practical joker. We look at the story of Abraham, asked to sacrifice his son Isaac, the son of the promise, Isaac, the perfect will of God, Isaac. And by the way, Isaac wasn't this child. He was closer to 17 or 18 years old. He had been with Abraham for a while. Abraham had made him an idol in his life. And he was asked to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And when they got up there, he set down the wood on the altar. And then he tied up Isaac and set him on the wood. And as he raised his hand with the knife to come down and slit his throat and bleed him out, as the sacrifice would demand, the angel grabbed his hand and said, Hold. And Abraham looked over, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket, and they sacrificed the ram. That ram represented Jesus. He represented the sacrifice. See, when it came time for God, he stepped in and stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son and gave him a substitute. That's love. You want to know what else love is? When it came time for God to sacrifice his only son. He did so without any substitution, and he did so without any hesitation. See, his love for you, his love for me, his love for his children has no limit. See, this is a personal, intimate love, the same love that when he formed Adam from the clay and the dust of the earth and then breathed life into him, that was love. See, everything else he had spoken into existence, we were created. John talks about that, John 17. I want you to hear these words because the days are coming when you're going to question, when you're going to wonder. Why are we going through what we're going through? Well, the Lord warned us in John 17. I do not pray for these alone, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me, and I in you, and they may also be one in us. And the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them. And he goes on to talk about perfection. He goes on to talk about not being taking them out of the world, but taking care of them. But then he ends it with that he has loved them as you love me. He tells them, John sixteen twenty three twenty seven 23, 27, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from God. Do you see that? When you believe in Jesus, he loves you. He knows that if you love the Lord, that you love him. See, you didn't know that, did you? You didn't know that it was a package deal, that when you fell in love with the Lord, you got his love too. You're walking around thinking it's incomplete. Oh, I can't talk to the Father. I have no relationship with the Father. That's not true. Because you have a relationship with the Lord, you have a relationship with the Father. The family is complete. You are back home. Really, people, it gets really basic. Oh, we can go through the forms, and we can go through the formality. We can kneel. We can clap. We can stand. We can jump. We can dance. We can do all these external things to make people believe that we know and we understand. But really what it comes down to, what do you do in your private time? What are do you doing? nobody's watching? A little five-minute prayer. You know, I remember I was raised Roman Catholic, pretty much made it clear how I feel about that. And know some of you that listen are still Catholic, and all I can say is I'll pray for you. But I, I could pray. Man, I had the ritual down. I could do the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and, and, and I, I, could, I could machine gun that thing out so fast, get it done, boom, it was over. Hey, I prayed. Went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, Catholic college. And they would, of course, make you go to church. And make good amount. I could kneel, I could stand, I could before the the nuns would hit the clicker or the priest would move the hand, I knew what to do. I could get that little kneeler to flip down just in time and hit it. Man, I had it down. I had the ritual down. And I was dead inside and going to hell and I was on a fast track to doing it. Ritual wasn't gonna save me. Ritual's not gonna save you. The only thing that's gonna save you is a relationship with the Lord. And a restored relationship with their Heavenly Father. Otherwise, you're going to stand before him at some point. He's going to look at you and say, I'm sorry, I don't know you. Your name's not on the list. If you've ever been to a party, I used to do security. And sometimes, if I wasn't doing the stage or staying with the star or whatever I'd get that I'd get the backstage door you know the door where all the v i p s would enter sometimes people would come up and say hey i'm i'm so and so's friend," and they would head towards the door and I'd grab them real hard and have to look at them and say, "I'm sorry, your name's not on the list but but i'm i'm so and so I'm sorry, your name's not on the list, but he told me you're not going in, and if you don't move, I'm going to move you." Your name is not on the list. Now step out aside. I would try to be as polite as possible, but you'd see the look in their face, and maybe sometimes it was an error, or maybe it was just sometimes they had an overvalued view of their relationship with somebody. But the look on their face to realize that they'd been rejected, that they were not on the list, is something you never forget. And I can't even imagine what that look will be at the end when you find out your name is not on the list to spend eternity with him. The Lord spent three years revealing relationship. He went from place to place, and what he did was he restored relationship. He did it with the disciples, chose men that would not have been chosen by the religious leaders, and established relationship. They traveled together. They slept around the fire together. They ate together. He went to the Pharisees' houses that would let him come in. Relationship. Tax collectors. Relationship. Sinners. Relationship. Mary Magdalene. Relationship. The woman who washed his feet with the oil may have been Mary, may have been somebody else, relationship. Mary and Martha, relationship. Lazarus, relationship. You find me somewhere in the four Gospels where they talk about Jesus and he encounters somebody and it's not about intimacy and relationship. The Roman centurion who wants his slave healed relationship. No ritual, no form. The thief on the cross, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. This day you shall be with me in paradise, the first convert into paradise with the Lord, the Lamb of God. Relationship. That's what Calvary was all about. John chapter 14, starting with verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Restoration and relationship. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And also, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. Relationship. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Relationship. That's the word for the church today. It isn't about how many banners you have on the wall or how big your building is or how ornate your sanctuary is. None of that matters. What matters is a relationship with the living God where you can sit down in the quiet of your room, in your car, wherever you may be, and say, Abba, Father. I get up in the morning early sometimes, it's still dark, to take the dogs out. I look up at the stars, I look up at the sky, and I say, I may have told you this story, but no, I'm going to tell it to you again. The Oklahoma bombing, early 90s, daycare center, children have been injured. Firemen and the rescuers are bringing the children out of the damaged building, and one fireman is holding this young child in his arms, and this tiny little woman begins to throw people out of her way. I mean, literally, like a fullback pushes them out of the way to get to her child and take him from the fireman's arms. Now I sat and I watched that on the news and I heard the father say, that was me on the day I ripped the temple veil so that I could get out and be with you. See, Jesus was the rescuer. He held us in his bloody arms. He held us in his resurrected arms. And he presented us back to the father who rushed like a father who's been kept from his children, like a father who's had a restraining order against him and has not been allowed to see his children. He rushes out to us from the garden of eden to a hill called calvary was a plan that he set in motion the minute his relationship was broken there was always a plan to be back in relationship with his children the book of acts church i believe understood this they understood it in a way that we've seemed to have lost remember that scripture romans 8:15. you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear but you've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out abba father Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, because you are sons, and in this case sons and daughters, God has sent you forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. And just because it says son, it doesn't mean the women are eliminated. That's just the way, the culture of the day. You are prince and princesses. You are kings and queens to serve our God. You see adoption? Adoption is a legal process by which a person assumes parental responsibility for another person's child. The spirit of adoption gives us the attributes and benefits of the relationship that the Lord had with the Father. Don't miss what I just said. Because of the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit inside of you that allows you to cry out, Abba, Father, to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, gives you the same attributes and benefits that the Lord had with God the Father. Through the spirit of adoption... He is our Father through our existence, our likeness and nature, our provision, our education and discipline, our intimate interaction and communication, the forgiveness of our offenses and our inheritance. This is not our world. We are citizens from another place. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. All of these things are about family relationship. And I was lucky, although I came from a broken home and my father had walked out, When I got saved, the first thing I wanted is I wanted to meet my father. But those broken, dysfunctional homes of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now the 2000s have made it difficult for people to do that. He's not just the father of creation. He's the father of recreation. He did that with Lazarus, and he does that with our souls and our spirits. And the day is coming. When I believe that we're going to hear about people being raised from the dead, we're going to see it. Signs and wonders and false signs and wonders will, will battle across the land, and only those who have a relationship will know who's performing which. Listen to what I'm about to say. If you are religious, if you have a religious spirit, you're not a part of his family. If you act like an outsider, you can't possibly be one of his. That's my opinion. That may seem harsh. There is a group, a church which calls himself a Christian church. They will go protest at funerals. Uh, They're coming to Orlando to protest the the local high school that my wife teaches at my boys graduated from for some ridiculous reason, mostly just to get themselves on TV so that when you go and click their website, they get paid because it's uh, payment by the click. I look at them. I look at their action. I look at the hate. I look at the vile things that they do, and I realize you don't know him. You never knew him. You're not a part of the family. Family doesn't act like that the pharisees and their work and the things they did were proof of their satanic heritage he said so he said that they were of their father the devil i know those some that say oh that means they they were they were nephilim they were hybrid they, they they were genetic mutants i don't know what they were i just know that he meant that they what they how they lived and what they did was born of a different father and not a heavenly one see the very center of his teachings and the oral ministry of jesus of nazareth was to inspire us to Base our life on a life with God as our Father. To have faith in Him and trust Him as our Father. To know that He knows all and that He knows our needs even before we ask and He wants to give us our needs. I know, well, I've been praying for this and He hasn't given it to me. Well, maybe because you're not supposed to have it. When my sons first got their license at the age of 16, if they had come to me and said, I want to drive this fast, 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 fast car, will you help me get it? I'd say, no, I'm not going to help you kill yourself. I'm not going to help you he crashed that car that's not what a loving father does if he says no there's a reason and you need to trust that romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 we talk about this as far as salvation but maybe it's just a confirmation about relationship if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation Sounds like a relationship to me. Sounds like at that point, if you can believe that and say that, there's no more separation. There's no more loneliness. There's no more spiritual dysfunction. And we're no longer powerless against the devil. Look at your home. There will always be problems and there will always be, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, disagreements. But if you can get past those disagreements, if you can hold your home together, you can hold your family together, when the chips are down and the storm comes and family rallies around one another, that's relationship. But if you don't have that, if your home's fractured, if your relationship with your wife, your husband is fractured, then you better get that in order because you can't possibly walk with him, talk with him, and serve him in an intimate supernatural relationship when your natural ones are wrong. See, the cross wasn't just for you. It was for him. A father's loneliness for not being able to see and interact with his children was gone. The hole in our heart was gone. The pain in his was removed as well. The cross became the instrument of your birth. Say I'm a new creation. The devil can come to me and say, hey, you did this and you did that and you did this to this person and you taught this person about crystals and you helped me deceive them. Well, I don't know who you're talking about. That Richard is dead. I am a new creation. The cross gave me life. You want victory? then you need to understand the relationship between father and child. And what is the prophecy? What is the prophecy that ends the Old Testament? What is the prophecy that foretells what will happen at the end? Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, it will be a dreadful day as well. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. It's about restoration of relationship. There is a clause in the Old Testament about Passover. Passover is a required feast to the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Jew. But there's a choice. There's also a curse. If you're able to celebrate it, if you're not traveling, if you're not ill, you're not infirmed, and you can go to temple, and you can do all the things that are required of it, and you choose not to, then your sins will never be removed. And I saw a metaphor of foreshadowing of accepting Jesus, of accepting Yeshua as your Messiah. Restoration is your choice. Relationship is your choice. It's something that you must instigate and you must receive. It's a give and take. The father's already done his job. He had Jesus do it for him on Calvary. See, basically, I've come to the realization that we don't help anyone get saved. Jesus did that. We can't possibly help anyone get saved. What we do is we help them with the adoption process. There's a lot of people out there that want to be adopted but don't know the father. They want the rights and benefits of family without being in the family. It doesn't work that way. You must receive the spirit of adoption. To me, Abba. And if I can do nothing else for you, then I would love to help you pick up your adoption papers. I would love to help you get to that place where you know that you know that you know he's your dad. We can celebrate Passover. We can celebrate resurrection of our Lord. But what made the book of Acts Church different besides the power of the upper room? See what the Holy Spirit did? Didn't just bring the gifts of the Spirit, brought the fruit of the Spirit. They had a relationship with one another, but they had a relationship with the Lord, and they had a relationship with the Father. I've said that word relationship so many times. I'm probably going to have to listen to this recording and see how many times i said it. But maybe it will be one of those things that you'll remember. What did he talk about? I don't know, but he said the word relationship a lot. Oh, oh I just wish, that, I wish I could do more. But all I can do is what I do. I'm going to try. I'll always try to do more. I'll always try to... Get you to understand who you are in the Lord. If nothing else, don't worry about your title. Don't worry about your office. There's a lot of people that move into an office that wasn't theirs, and they have to move out. You'll get your office when when it's time for you to have one. But understand who you are. You're his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. Prince or princess. See, if you're a child of the king, that's what that makes you. It gives you access to the throne, and that makes you royalty. I want you to have the gifts. I want you to move in the power. I want you to be able to look at these things when they appear at the end. I don't care how big they are. To Look at them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get on your knees and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And have the faith to understand that if they don't do it, Dad will make them do it. See, my boys know me. My boys know that if you mess with them, you mess with me. And if I get in the equation, that's not a good thing for you. But more than that, I mean dad comes with me. And if he gets in the equation, that's not a good thing for you. That's what family does. We take care of one another. I want you to have that. I want you to know him as Abba, as dad. I want you to know relationship and not ritual. I want you to have the confidence that in a moment's notice, no matter what happens, maybe in the midst of a storm, maybe in the midst of an earthquake, maybe in the midst of one of these catastrophic events that everybody keeps talking about, to have the confidence in your heart of, I know who my dad is, he'll take care of me. Dark days are upon us. I won't even say they're coming, people. They're upon us. And unless you have this confidence of relationship that I'm talking about, you will understand the scripture of men's hearts failing them for what is coming. My heart has no fear. My heart is full of love. My heart is full of faith. My heart is full of a relationship with the living God whom I believe is real, whom I know is the great I am. My heart is full of faith and love and relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who died for me, the one who looked and said, hey, Richard, you've got a debt that you can't possibly pay. I'm going to pay it for you. The day I picked up my adoption papers that were written in his blood, I was home. There's no place else I want to be. I resent sometimes when this world intrudes on my relationship with him. I resent sometimes when this world gets in the way or tries to distract me. Sometimes it's necessary and I have to deal with it, but I'll be honest with you, I resent it. Anything that steals my time from him, I resent it. I love Friday nights when my family and I can sit down and do Shabbat, whether it's all around the table or through the use of technology, through webcams or cell phones. And we could call dad together when we sing the Shema. Yeah, that's not ritual. That's not religion. I grew up in an Italian family, which would make sense since I'm Italian. And every Sunday we went to my grandma's house. And every Sunday everybody came together and grandma would mix spaghetti and meatballs and whatever the kids would run around and play and, and the men would, you know, watch baseball or do whatever and was family. Every Sunday was family. And then when I got married, my wife and and I, and at that point Jesse we would go to my mother's house, and it was about family. And the one thing I miss about living here in Florida is those moments where family would come together. And say, oh, you can have that as church. I won't even go there. I don't have enough time to cover that. I do have people that we love and that I fellowship with, but there's something about family. There's something about blood. And I have believers who are my brothers and my sisters who are blood. When we get together, all we do is talk about the Lord and we pray and we let the Spirit move and, and Revelation comes and Dad will come hang out and the Lord will hang out. And that's about family. It reminds me of those Sundays, those family Sundays. Well I want family every day. Father, in the name of your Son, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, the time he took to teach us about relationship, the time that the disciples, especially John, took to write about it. It's not lost on us. At least I pray it's not. Father, you had me do things different tonight. We didn't blow the shofar. We didn't do the opening prayer. We we jumped around. We did a little bit different. But it almost felt like tonight, Lord, we sat around the table, cracked open our Bibles. We sat around the table of the world using the Internet or cell phones or, or technology, and we came together as a family. I believe that's your heart. That's why you chose the children that you did, the children of Israel. They understood, family. They still do. just miss out on the other stuff holy spirit i want to acknowledge your work in us and your work as the spirit of adoption in this family to restore us in right relationship and if we've ever grieved you by trying to turn it into ritual if we've ever grieved you by taking what you've shown us and misapplying it perverting it or merchandising it or, or or doing all the things that man will do on behalf of myself and and the others in the family, I apologize. I can't even imagine how that would have grieved you. And, Lord, as we look at Passover and we look at the event on the cross, I have no idea, Lord, and I'm just speaking from my heart right now. Talk about lambs. I've never had a lamb. I've seen them in the zoos. But I've heard about people who had farms and how attached they get to the baby lambs. And how emotionally attached they get to them when the lamb would come up and, and run and nuzzle them and, and do the little prancing thing and, and, and play with them. And similar along the line, they're going to have to slaughter that animal. And the thousands of baby lambs, unblemished lambs, that are slaughtered in the temple could not compare to the one that hung on the cross. The day that he died as he hung there, that little stream coming from the temple, was bright red and thick and flowing quickly, that all that mattered was the one hanging in the air for all to see. See, the lambs would struggle and try to pull away. They would not understand what was about to happen. See, he knew. He could have pulled away. He could have called for angels to stop it, and angels gladly would have, because I'm sure that they did not understand, but they were obedient, and they stood down. And from their watch posts and from their positions, they watched the living word, which spoken in them into existence, be beaten by the creation, whipped, scourged, tortured by the creation, and they could not do anything about it. Father, I know how much it hurts my heart to talk about it. Can't even imagine your heart having to watch it. Father, the word says that you hold back the end because you desire that all your children would be saved right here, right now. I pray, Lord, somebody hearing the sound of my voice and hearing the words has had their heart pierced they desire to cry out, Abba, Father. If that is your desire, then you simply must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he has risen from the dead and that he sits at the right hand of the Father. You must choose relationship. And for those that have known you and lost their way, have been distracted by the cares of this world, I pray that they would find their way home, Lord. Like the prodigal son who thought they had a better way and a better plan, and they went their own way and they got lost, I, I pray that they would come home and they would see you waiting for them and run into your arms. Father, these people that are about to turn their back on the Lord, Lord, there's people that are about to turn their back on You and think that what they're doing is right to go back to legalism, to negate the cross, to claim that Messiah has not come. I pray that they would come to their senses. I would pray that whatever religious spirit that has blinded them and taken them over, that that spirit would be broken, that lie. Messiah has come. We are not waiting for Messiah. We're waiting for the return of the king. The lamb has been slain. He will not be slain again. We are waiting for the lion of the tribe of Judah, king of kings and lord of lords. No more sacrificial blood will be spilled. It has been spilled once for all. Tonight I just felt led to speak to you from the heart. I felt led to just talk to you about dad. And get you to a place where when you look at all the events of the coming days and all the things that your church or your, your fellowship might do, that you understand the heart behind it. You've been on the porch. We've been getting it real, keeping it real, talking about the Lord, talking about Abba, the spirit of adoption. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Hear these words. This is the ironic prayer. This is what Aaron would speak over the children of Israel. Listen to the covenant promises of these words. And picture your dad. Picture your Abba as I say this. May the Lord, Adonai, bless you and keep you. May Adonai cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you. And because he's looking at you and because you can see him looking at you, that he will give you peace, that he will give you shalom. I'm Richard Grunn. We'll see you next time on The Porch.